Hello, podcast world, and welcome to a beautiful winter's day here in Durban, South Africa. I'm in my little closet studio to talk about the gospel. What is it really? We Christians certainly talk about it a lot. We have gospel meetings and gospel music. We preach the gospel and we share the gospel. If you're like me, you first heard the gospel message explained on a flannel graph board, or maybe it was through the use of colors. Remember this, black stands for our sin, and red is for Jesus' blood, and the white was because he makes me clean, so now I'm white as snow, and there's gold because I'm gonna go to heaven and walk on the streets of gold. Or maybe you first heard the gospel or the good news from a little four spiritual laws booklet. But one way or the other, most of you know exactly what I'm talking about. What if I told you, I think the gospel has failed us? Welcome to Deeply Spiritual But Rather Uncertain. Okay, so hopefully I've gotten your attention, and I'm going to unpack that idea throughout this podcast, as well as talk a little bit about things known as black theology or liberation theology. But before I get there, I want to remind you of Patreon. It's moved beyond just a place where you can support the podcast to a place with extra resources for you to engage with. There are a number of different kinds of meditations there that you can use that hopefully will help you in your own spiritual journey. So go there and check it out. Patreon.com forward slash Skip Collins. There is a link below in the show notes. So for those of you not well versed in Christianese, let me explain the evangelical white Western male view of the gospel. And I use all of those descriptors because they are necessary, and hopefully by the end of this podcast you'll understand why. The word gospel shows up pretty regularly in the English versions of our New Testament, 92 times in the NIV version. It simply means the good news. In some of the newest translations, they actually use the term good news rather than gospel, but most English translations use the word gospel. I think they do it because they want to define what the good news is. They want to make sure you know what the good news is. It's not just any good news. It's what we in our evangelical white Western male world call the gospel. It's this that Jesus, the Son of God incarnate, lived a perfect life, and then he was crucified and died because a just and holy God demands that somebody must die, so he died in our place for our sin. Then he rose again on the third day, and he defeated sickness and death, and someday he will return, and those of us who accepted him as Lord and Savior will go to heaven and live happily ever after, and those who haven't are in for an eternity of torture and abuse. So that's what we call the gospel, the good news, albeit that might be just a little bit cynical. I would suggest, though, that this is the filter 
through which we define everything. We read the entire Bible through that filter of the gospel. You might remember back in season one, I did a number of podcasts around what I consider to be the major themes of the Bible. Of course, the Bible doesn't list its major themes, so that's all subjective. But often when people talk about the themes of the Bible, the first one they speak of is Jesus. Jesus is a major theme in the Bible. But when they say that, when they say Jesus, what they really mean is the gospel, that view of the gospel. That's like a major theme in the Bible. And so everything gets interpreted through this gospel filter. So let me give you some examples. Go to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and we use this gospel filter to explain how sin entered the world, even though the word sin doesn't actually appear in Genesis 1 and 2. But with our gospel filter, that all makes perfect sense. Or read the story of the Exodus with our gospel filter, and it becomes about God delivering us from spiritual bondage and spiritual slavery, we see the whole Exodus story as being a metaphor of the gospel. Then we come to the New Testament, and we read all the stories and all the parables of Jesus all through this gospel filter. The gospel is what it means to be a Christian. And praise God, there are more than two billion of us in this world. One-third of the world's population. Two billion people that have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Eighty percent of Americans call themselves Christians. Ninety percent of the people in Brazil. Ninety-five percent of the people in Mexico. Seventy-three percent of the people in Russia. So here's my question. What difference has the gospel made? What impact has this gospel had in our world? See, I've always believed that if we deal with the spiritual issues of the world, the rest will come right. Because people that have been redeemed will become generous and caring people. So if two billion people are there, then we should see a huge difference, right? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, lots of those people are just Christians in name. They really aren't Christians. Okay, so let's say half of them are not really Christians. That's still a billion people. What kind of an impact should one billion people be having in our world? But according to UNICEF, three million children die of hunger every year. In the USA, where there are more Christians than anywhere else in the world, one out of seven children go to bed hungry. 
That's according to a group called No Kid Hungry. One.org tells us that one out of three people on our planet don't have access to safe drinking water. Here in South Africa, that prides itself as a Christian country, we have the highest economic disparity rates in the entire world. Here in South Africa, in the USA, and in much of the world, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. Something is wrong with this picture. Has the gospel failed us? Our traditional view of the gospel is a very personal thing. It's what God has done for me as an individual. So because of the gospel, I have a personal relationship with God. I have access to the Father. It's interesting that the covenant that God made with Abraham was that all the nations of the world would be blessed, not that all individual people of the world would be blessed. Let that sink in for a while. So in the late 19th and 20th centuries, a number of new theologies began to emerge. These new theologies, in many ways, redefined the gospel and the very mission of Jesus himself. In South America, it began with liberation theology. In the USA, it was black theology. Then there was an African theology that deeply influenced South Africa in the 1980s. There's a womanist theology, which is aimed primarily at African-American women. And there's a feminist theology, and there's more. On a side note, I went to Bible college here in South Africa in the 1990s, and I feel deeply cheated that never once was there a mention of South African black theology or the people that influenced its ideas. People like Steve Biko and Alan Bosak and others, there are so many deep, rich ideas that influence the struggle against apartheid. And we sat in our little ivory tower of Bible college and studied outdated Baptist principles and the writings of John Calvin. It's absolutely insane that we were not engaging with the theological thinking that was impacting the world in which we lived. And while I'm on my little soapbox, I think the same thing is happening in the USA right now. I would suggest that if pastors and seminaries would open their ears and their hearts to a different gospel than the one that has failed us, Rather than defend our political ideologies or our political heroes on Facebook, we might see things differently. Okay, I'll get off my I'll get off my soapbox now. I'll quit shouting and preaching. Sorry. All of these new theologies that have risen up are absolutely fascinating to me. 
to see how they have developed over the past 50 or 60 years in different parts of the world and to understand how they have influenced the story that is unfolding in the world is really amazing. I did a podcast last year called Shift Happens, and I talked about many of the changes that have taken place in the church and in theology. And so many of these ideas that are part of this new progressive Christianity come out of liberation theology or black theology or feminist theology. I'm by no means an expert in any of this, but as I read about these different ways of seeing the scriptures and different ways of seeing God, there are some things that they all seem to have in common. I think, first of all, they all seem to agree that all theology is biased. In other words, as I do theology, as I read and I study the scriptures, my interpretation is based on my culture, my socioeconomic background, my religious training, and all of it is a filter through which I look and interpret the scripture. Dietrich Bonhoeffer used to say that theology must start with a view from below. In other words, we start by looking at the suffering of the oppressed. When God met Moses at the burning bush, he said, I have seen the suffering and the impression of my people, and I have decided to come to their rescue. While our traditional gospel is about what I believe and what I affirm, these theologies are much more about what I do. The founder of liberation theology, if, if you call him a founder, anyway, his name was Gustavo Gutierrez, and he spoke about praxis. It's a Latin word that means practice. Gutierrez emphasizes that theology is not just to be learned, it's to be done. This praxis involved what he called revolutionary actions on behalf of the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized. According to liberation theology, God is always on the side of the oppressed, and that holds true of all these theologies. God is always on the side of the oppressed. So that's why Jesus came, they would say, to set the captives free, to free the poor and the marginalized and those that are captives of the system. Liberation theology borrowed a fair amount of its thinking from Karl Marx and promoted violence at times, which is why it's been met with such strong objections from the West. In America, James Cone began to write of a black theology in the late 1960s that looked a lot like liberation theology, but in the context of the oppression of black people in America. Cone believed that the struggle for black liberation was the mandate of the gospel. Since God was the God of the oppressed, always on the side of the oppressed, and Jesus was God incarnate, a living historical presence, then Jesus manifests himself in the oppressed. So in their context, 
Jesus would not only be with them in their struggle for liberation, he would manifest himself in their struggle, a.k.a. Jesus was a black man. Here in South Africa, the context is a bit different, and so the theology developed differently, but the basic tenets of God always being on the side of the oppressed and against the system of domination and inequality were the same. But there's a side to the South African view of these issues that is really, really fascinating. It springs out of the teaching of Steve Biko and the Black Consciousness Movement that, if you're South African, you know about. Um, Dutch Reformed Pastor Alan Bosak and many others began to put a theological framework around many principles of the Black Consciousness Movement, borrowing ideas from liberation theology as well as black theology in the United States. Although what emerged was a very South African view of theology founded in the struggle against apartheid. Biko and Bosak believed that liberation begins with repentance. Not just a repentance of the oppressor, but also the repentance of the oppressed. The repentance exercised by Biko and Bosak was, was talked about like this. It's the recognition of the justification of the oppression by the complacency of the oppressed in passively accepting their situation. They would say that repentance is the first step in the process of liberation from a slave mentality. They said it opens up the space for the oppressor to repent, which makes genuine reconciliation possible. According to Bosak, and I quote, Black theology offers reconciliation and peace in a situation where citizens do not trust each other, where we have been driven apart by laws, and where we are kept apart by fear and hatred. Bosak departed from liberation and American black theology um, in terms of a second important point as well. Those theologies focus on the liberation of people from oppressive structures and places. The, the emphasis is on liberation and freedom as the ultimate goal. For Bosak, the focus was not primarily about liberation from oppressive structures, but a rediscovery of human dignity and identity. I love that about South African black theology because it begins with this clear understanding that every human being has value and worth. Now, I said all that to say this. I believe that the evangelical white Western male view of the gospel is wrong, and it has let us down. It has failed to help us see what I believe is at the heart of God himself, compassion, grace, generosity, justice. But here's what we do. We interpret everything through a bad interpretation of the gospel. Let me give you an example. 
look at the first story that Luke tells of Jesus after he talks about the birth and the baptism and the temptations, all the, all the setup stuff. It's the story of Jesus in the temple, and you all know it. It's Jesus' turn to read from the scrolls, and he picks the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, and he reads this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Then Jesus put down the scroll, and he says to all the people there, This is all being fulfilled today. So we read this with our gospel filter, and this passage has nothing to do with economic disparity or inequality or oppression. It's about being set free on a personal, spiritual level. But what if Luke is saying that everything that comes after this in the story of Jesus should be interpreted through this story? This is the mission statement. This is what Jesus was about for the next three years. This is what his death and his crucifixion and his resurrection was all about. Or how about Matthew? The first recorded words of Jesus in Matthew are the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are poor, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Again, if you have the gospel filter, it means something very different than I think it actually means. And again, what if Matthew tells this first story on purpose? So what is the gospel? What is the the good news? It's not just about Jesus dying. It's about Jesus showing us a new way of living. It's about equality. It's about inclusiveness. It's about beauty and joy and hope. It's about seeing every person as having value and worth and treating them in such a way that they know they have value and worth. It's about sacrifice and about love. But don't be fooled. There's a lot of pushback on this kind of thinking in the evangelical white male world of Christianity. In fact, not long ago, a group of prominent, mostly white, all-male evangelical leaders put together what they called a statement on social justice and the gospel. The group was led by John MacArthur, and it lays out a defense of the gospel as it has been taught in the evangelical church. The statement is divided into 14 sections with titles like the church, salvation, the gospel, racism, and for some reason there's a section around sexuality. I'm not sure why. I thought about going through this point by point, then I thought it would just get too boring. So let me say this. How's it working for you? If you believe, as I know you do, that the Bible is God's word to us, 
What do you do with what the prophet Amos was speaking when he was speaking for God? And he says that I'm sick and tired of your sacrifices and your worship events. I want to see justice flowing like a river and righteousness like a never-ending stream. What do you do with the words of Micah, who is also speaking for God and says a similar thing to what actually disgusts God and says, you know, you know what I require of you. Just do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. So I ask you again, how is that working for you? My friends, it's time to come to terms with the fact that the gospel as defined by the evangelical white male church has let us down. It has to be more than just Jesus dying for our sin. It has to show us how to live. Okay, well, that's a lot to digest in one podcast. If you think I'm crazy, you are most welcome to write me and tell me. I would love to engage in a conversation with you on some of these issues. I would prefer to do it privately or in a controlled group of people rather than on Facebook for obvious reasons. But you can find me on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, and we can go from there. You can also connect with me through my webpage, skipcollins.com. Also, don't forget to head over to the Patreon page. It's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Skip Collins and see what's there. Have a great week. Shalom.